Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For us, the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. We can make a, a, a series of predictions of a sort about what will go on in the 1990s. The great story here is this vast right wing conspiracy. Well, you know what they think of me? They think I'm the son of God. Yeah. Members believe in the imminent end of the world and the second coming of Christ. Well, there's several uh, flying saucers, flying discs uh, that are out there of extraterrestrial origin. It's been reported that 25% of the nation's counties now have militia members. The militia movement is now said to be the fastest growing organization in the country. The Illuminati, which literally means illumined ones, international socialism, Communism, the Skull and Bones, the Russell Trust, the Jason Society. They'll triangulate on this position really, really soon. They're extra dimensional beings. Y2K. What does it mean? Conspiranormal proudly presents. of the paranormal, UFO phenomena, alternative culture, conspiracy theory, technology, spirituality, and psychedelia in the last decade of the 20th century.
CD and cassette. Price does not include shipping. Have, have all you guys seen the Bob Lazar documentary? Oh, yeah. Nope. Yeah. What? Other, other, what? Otherwise known as Jeremy, Mor- Jeremy Corbell talks on the phone for an hour. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty cool iPhone commercial. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm watching I- it. I'm like, seriously, dude? Really? Like, he, that guy is. It's like, all about him, man. That guy is like, yeah, he's really obsessed with himself. And we we tried to we tried to get him on uh, Conspiracy Normal, but uh, he was too good for us. And um, he uh, he went on some like stupid Bigfoot podcast. I'm like, are you serious? How does how does it, how does he get on there? He heard us talking shit about him. I think Red Pill was probably on when we were doing it. Oh, so it's my fault. <laughs> Did we yeah, talk, I think we, we were on. You, you were on the Skinwalker Ranch uh, roundtable, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Red Pill was on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that that movie was. Um, hey. That was dull. That that was the man. That was our movie. Was dull. It was just the cinematography. I thought. I thought all like the uh, the little special effects and graphics were cool, you know. But just like the like minutes and minutes going by with him just like zoomed in on him text messaging. I was like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I were talking to talking to friends who like, just like randomly watched it, you know, on various streaming services. Cause they're sort of interested in this stuff. I'd, I'd get texts like, what is this movie? Why? What? <laughs> I'm like, I know, I know. Don't, don't judge the entire ufological field by that movie. FBI um, raid. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Lazars or Skinwalker? Yeah, uh, yeah, the Lazar movie. Yeah. Okay. My dad watched it. <laughs> not even into UFOs. I mean, I one one day I caught him. Uh, I I I heard. I think I heard Bob uh, Lazar's, you know, very characteristic tone of voice, and I say, "Oh, that's my dad." You know, the one who used to mock me when I used to see watch movies <laughs> about UFOs, watching a uh-huh. UFO. Documentary. Yeah. So Your dad's all, Bob Lazar? Yeah. What? <laughs> so I asked Hi, him I'm of, Bob Lazar. <laughs> exactly. Hey, guys. I, I, I asked him at the end of, of, of it, okay, what do you think? Do you think he's full of shit? Do you believe him? And he only said, God only knows. So that's to, to Corwell's credit, man, because my dad is not really a callable person. You know, he, he doesn't yeah, buy yeah. anything. But he was interested enough to actually watch the entire thing. What, yeah. what about the narration from what's I mean, that guy? Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Mysteries of the universe. Uh, he's well, very, very grizzled. Well, it was kind of that was kind of uh, useless. Like, mm-hmm. what was the point of that? I, I thought he was going to be actually because he could attach Bob some star's song. name to it. Yeah. 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 Cool. The yeah. point. Is we know now that Michael Rourke uh, knows Jeremy Corbell, that they hang together in yeah. the same tattoo, or, and that's it. Yeah, Mickey, like, Mickey's hey, on some rough times, so, you know, hey, 500 bucks, narrate this for us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. What, I mean, what's the point of having <laughs> Mickey Rourke? <laughs> well, I think I think we've pretty much already started here, guys. So I want to welcome everybody to this interesting little roundtable that we're going to do. I don't really know what to expect here, but um, Serfiel came up with this idea, which we may be doing a part two of this with a different cast. But uh, tell them what, what you were thinking about for this 
round well, table. I I can't remember who exactly was it. I, I'm trying to remember where 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 we got the idea. Someone said that phrase "woke" in the '90s, and and uh, it was uh, Jay Dyer. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, we, I was going to say I, I would never say something yeah. like that. No. Yeah, and, and Red Pill hates that term. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I mean, I hate it too. But you know, at first it was kind of, I guess, in the memosphere or whatever. It kind of just meant like it was almost this like in tune with spiritual stuff, or you were kind of you know like woke, and it's become real politicized now. So it basically, I think, to most people now, it just means like you are leaning left pretty much. But yeah. I like the you know the old context of just like. It being this, uh, you know, turned on to alternative information and culture, spirituality, et cetera. And uh, so I thought this idea of what woke in the 90s, that phrase and really understanding how we got here in this alternative media culture or in the study of ufology and all this stuff. And really to understand that, I think you really have to understand what happened in the 90s, which is where most of us, I think, we really got into yeah. this mm-hmm. culture, yeah. got into yeah. UFOs, got into, you know, this all this kind of stuff. So I thought it'd be something cool to have and get some of the, the heavy hitters and people who were there doing work back then and uh, people who were studying it and, uh, you know, just do kind of a round table and help people kind of understand how we got here, you know, from the last century and that turn of the century period, which I think was really important. Right. And I think to start off the biggest aspect for me coming up in that time. And I was, I was a teenager into my early 20s was probably the X-Files was like the biggest deal. You know, I mean, that that was that was the show on TV to watch at that time. And I recently, you know, rewatched the entire series not too long ago. And but so I think it's important that, you know, we kind of talk about how that whole mythology of the X-Files really got set up, too. And to do that, we kind of got to go back to the 80s. And we've been talking a little bit about the Bob Lazar documentary, and that's really, I think, at the point where, you know, with Bob Lazar, that I think that all that kind of mythology that Chris Carter later picks up on in the X-Files comes in. And I think we probably really should start, and Aaron, I know that you, you're really the one that kind of turned me on to this, which was the whole, you know, UFO cover-up live yeah, and what yeah. Uh, how that got started, and I know that Adam uh, Go Rightly, we've talked to you about um, some of this stuff before, and I know that like you know I listened uh, Aaron to um, your presentation that you did in Halifax that you put up on the Saucer Life feed, mm-hmm. where you talked about um, moving from uh, William Cooper to onto like uh, Phil Schneider. And that whole mythology, which Schneider, I didn't even hear about till like 2005. I didn't even know idea who, even who the guy was. But uh, I think that really all of this stuff kind of that mythology really gets started in the late 80s and into the early 90s. Yeah, um, and I think there, there's like seeds of it sown in in the early 80s uh, with with um, with all the various uh, attempts at, at misinformation and disinformation of UFO researchers, sort of sort of centering around Paul Benowitz, but also involving involving other things that were going on uh, going on out west, and then that develops into these little threads that get spread throughout. Uh, spread throughout UFO culture. Um, and then in the 90s, you know, in the late 80s, once Lazar shows up and we have sort of the the established sort of sort of presence of Area 51 and, and S4, he's doing all 
these these interviews this guy who who of course shuns all publicity was doing all these these interviews and appearances and things like that and and then you had john lear show up and uh lear and lazar and Knapp too. Knapp was sort of the, uh, the sort of the the, the the media friendly handler for a lot of this, and I yeah. mean, is the media friendly handler for a lot of this. And um, he, uh, he he sort of is there also. But on the UFO side of things, you've got uh, you've got John Lear with his hypothesis, and then you've got Bill English showing up with much like Bill Cooper. I saw things that I was when I was in the military, and I can tell you about them, but I can't produce them. You know that sort of sort of evidence all pointing to a a, a deeper, darker connection between the U.S. government and some sort of alien power than had been than had been posited before. And, and by 1989, these things are showing up in in presentations at MUFON, which up to that point had been you know fairly standard, run of the mill. We're filing reports on lights in the sky, kind of organization, and 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 getting into yeah. the abduction stuff. But they'd never been. I mean, it, it took Lear and Cooper and English threatening to open up a second rival convention down the street in Los Angeles to get Walt Andrus to put them on on the MUFON agenda. So it really was that there in 89, you sort of see this changeover to um, the conspiratorial mindset starting to become the driving force within um, a lot of uh, a lot of aspects of uh, of ufology and it's the same time that a lot of political conspiracism is starting to uh is starting to come of age as well so that that really is a uh, a, a real sort of sort of point of catalyst at that time period yeah and adam i know that you've been working on this for a little while some of this stuff the same vein as well Mm-hmm. is there a question <laughs> Well, so if there's anything that you want to add that you wanted to add to to what he just said, or um, oh man, well that's kind of the thrust, need to know about the thrust of this book I've been working on. That's uh, almost done. Uh, yeah. It deals with that whole uh, evolution of a lot of these uh, memes and how all of this started. And yeah, Aaron mentioned uh, Paul Benowitz. Uh, that's one of the nodes there. That where uh, it appears a lot of this starts back with uh, Benowitz, which would have been uh, 79, and, uh, you know, he was picking up on stuff over at Kirtland Base where, you know, he lived just adjacent to that. And, uh, you know, part of his research, uh, a lot of things were going on then. You had the cattle mutilations, too. All these things were coming together, and he caught wind of the story yeah. of uh, Myrna Hansen, who, uh, this was basically uh, 79, I think. Uh, she was in, um, was near Eagle Nest, Arizona, and uh, she saw a cow getting sucked up into a uh, UFO, and uh, shortly after, she and her uh, son were on that UFO where they saw a uh, cattle mutilation going on, which is pretty strange. And so uh, Benowitz uh, uh, took her under his arms. It actually happened with the uh, state police there, uh, and uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what office there in uh, New Mexico she came into their office and was telling them her story. She was pretty hysterical, and they passed her on to Gabe Valdez, you know, who was the uh, go-to guy for 
cattle mutilations and weird stuff in the sky. And uh, uh, Valdez in turn contact Benowitz because you know he had he had uh, contacts with uh, Apro, and that's where they brought in uh, Leonard Stringfield to do the. Uh, or was it Leo Sprinkle? Which one of those guys was it? I, I think I think it was Sprinkle. Yes, Leo Sprinkle, yeah. who'd been in, uh, involved in uh, doing regressions there for uh, several years. I think he's out of the University of uh, Wyoming. So anyway, out of all of this really came the uh, first mentions of an underground base. Uh, Hansen claimed that, yeah, she had been... After her experience on the UFO, they had taken her to a uh, underground base, and uh, they were doing some medical experiments on her. And she broke free, and she was running through the facility, and that's where she saw, you know, the burbling vats with the hybrid uh, babies and such. That later, yeah, yeah. later, uh, you know, a good 15 plus years later, worked their way into the, <laughs> the X Files and. Uh, similar right. stories yep. that were emerging. So that's kind of the start of a lot of these threads. Um, Myrna Hansen also had a uh, some type of implant. That was one of the uh, earliest examples. Uh, and there was actually uh, C-scans and X-rays that, you know, there was something in her <laughs> brain, whether it was an alien implant is another story. So that's kind of where the... Uh, story starts that evolved over time and kind of hit critical mass there. At, uh, we were talking about the uh, 89 MUFON Symposium in uh, Las Vegas. And to correct Aaron a little bit... Um, oh, no. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Actually, boy, really, John Lear was starting, you know, this is when he kind of broke into the scene this that was 89 and 88 he became the uh, state director for uh, Nevada MUFON and actually he organized that uh, conference you know and you had uh, a lot of your quote-unquote mainstream people there uh, Linda Moulton Howe and uh, Stan Friedman and uh, Timothy Good and uh, I had the agenda here somewhere, and all these folks were uh, talking about uh, either Majestic 12 or the Benowitz uh, case, and uh, Lear wanted, you know, he had also scheduled uh, for the event some of the more fringy uh, people that were taking some of the, you know, the Benowitz story and (laughs) taking it to another weirder level, like you mentioned, uh, Bill Cooper and... uh, Bill English, so there, you know, there was this conflict there that uh, when uh, who was the head uh, dude for uh, MUFON, I forget his uh, name. You remember that? Who the head guy was? Uh, Andrus Walt Andrus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, when he got a load of. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, a couple days before the conference. He got a load of some of the people Lear wanted to uh, bring in. He said, no way, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, Lear threatened to, you know, take his people down the street and have another conference. But what actually happened was that they... Andrus relented because he knew it would have fucked up their conference. So they brought in, you know, all, they had these mix of uh, speakers there. And, you know, that's where 
lot of the whole uh, Dulce bass mythos really started rolling during that uh, period with uh, what was presented at that conference and around the same mm-hmm. time a lot of the uh, material was starting to hit the internet on the uh, uh, Paranet bulletin board stuff in 87, 88 and John Lear was really key to a lot of that What's your guys' thoughts on John Lear? I mean, it, do you think that he was a disinformation guy himself, or was he just really just having fun with everybody? I, I think he's a guy who liked a good story. Yeah, um, and liked the party apparently too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah. I don't. I. I have trouble believing that after maybe some initial speculation that he believed much of it at all. Uh, I think his, his role in, in, you know, fabricating the cruel document, for example, you know, as, as a way to sort of, sort of draw out people like Bill Cooper who weren't being on the up and up. I I think that demonstrates a little bit of the, uh, the imagination he had. I, I, I I mean, I, he probably believed that the MJ 12 documents were genuine probably because a lot of people did uh at that especially at that time before a lot of the 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 sort of you know hardcore debunking of them um took place but uh lear is um lear's a a weird guy it's a a weird guy let's let's talk about bob lazar because we were talking about the documentary and of course this is on netflix now so i'm sure a lot of people have probably seen it but you know what's you guys thoughts on lazar um, he watching the documentary, he seems like he's just really earnest that he's telling the truth. So is there, could he be telling the truth as he understands it? Well, I think that's, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, he could, well, one of the things he, uh, said over the years when he was at S4 was that he felt uh, there was some theatrics going on there that certain aspects had been staged for his benefit. So, mm-hmm. you know, he might have been uh, manipulated. He claimed that uh, and a lot of it, uh, I mean, a lot of this, uh, some of the same stories <laughs> that had been in ufology emerged uh, with uh Lazar there, you know, at Area 51, uh, you know, they had the uh, military people work there, had a little Majestic emblem, so that kind of tied it into Majestic 12. Then uh, Lazar claimed he got some briefing materials, which were a heck of a lot like basically uh, the material that came out about Dulce, that there'd been a uh, confrontation with the aliens. So a lot of this, he was repeating a lot of the same stories. Maybe that stuff was getting fed to him. And he claimed when he was at uh, S4, at one point, one of his co-workers uh, took him uh, down a long hall where they could kind of look through a uh, window and he saw the back of a head that looked like an alien. You yeah, know, he <laughs> yeah. he wasn't sure. Later, he said, "Well, it might have been a uh, some type of doll or something that you know this was for his benefit to uh, so he'd be passing on these uh, stories." He also claimed that at one point there was uh, there was a woman doctor and a nurse uh, assistant there that 
uh, was treating all the uh, workers at S4 and that uh, on several occasions he was hypnotized by this uh, woman doctor. Now, what, yeah, to, what it, to think of all this? In, <laughs> right, I mean, it even says in the documentary that he goes through some kind of hypnotism, and this is after he was at supposedly at S4 and he goes through this hypnotism and he, apparently he's remembering all this stuff. So I, I would yeah, say see, I would, that's, that's suspicious to me. I would say that, uh, the one thing, uh, seems credible. Uh, I don't know if credible is the right word, but somehow he was given a heads up him and Lear and, uh, primarily about when the testing was going on. They figured out when and where to uh, go see that, and a lot of that started the frenzy around uh, Area 51 there in uh, around 1989 or so. Yeah. Rip Hill, do you got any thoughts on this? Because I know that you've followed that story for a while. Yeah, I follow the story. I saw the documentary. I I listened to the very very long interview uh, with Lazar on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I go back and forth with with Lazar. Sometimes I give him the benefit of the doubt, not that he's telling the truth, but that that he is an um, a uh, disinformation agent unbeknownst to him, right? That maybe it's because some of the things in his story are to me indicative of, of some kind of like psyops gaslighting process mm-hmm. that was meant to drive him to go to the press, you know, and, and, and spill the beans. All these uh, tactics that he claims that he was suffering, you know, people uh, opening his car, you know, even when he was carrying a noosey, you know, and, and then he goes to the gym with his friend, they return, and, and the, the doors of the car are open, but the, the, the noosey is, is inside the car still. You know, uh, even, even these love affair between his ex-wife and, and, and a pilot, because I, I guess the, the woman was uh, taking flying lessons. Well, you know, where, where's the best place to find people who can fly? Well, in an air, in an air base, right? So yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, well, the Air Force was the one that um, uh, made the, his wife fall into an affair. But what I'm saying is that the way that they handle him doesn't really make sense if what he's telling is the truth that he was involved in what's in what will be the most sensitive uh, and most de- delicate uh, ex- uh, you know engineering project in the history of mankind, right? And and when he when when Joe Rowan asked him, you know, why didn't they arrest you? When when they cut you uh, after he took his friends to that testing, you know, to one of those tests, and and they were like, uh, I don't know, I guess they were having a, a picnic or something, and they were grilling something, and that's when they catch him, and they let him go, 
And he mm-hmm. says, well, I guess they didn't know how to handle me. Like, are you kidding me, man? Right. Your head right there and, and then and then, you know? Yeah. They could have yeah. charged you of any kind of... He, he claims that they erased their his school records. So someone who has the power to erase your school records probably has the power to fabricate uh, phony charges to, you know... Get your ass in jail and, and and let you rot there for thirty years. Oh so, yeah, or or worse, you know. I mean, you know, yeah. people die all the time, right? You know, if, if this stuff's really that sensitive, I I, I agree with uh, with Red Pill. I mean, it's it's just, I mean, it's so clear to me that that he's been allowed to say the things he said. So the question is yeah. why. Yeah, do you think that this is the same kind of thing that's described in Mirage Men with Benowitz and Richard Doty? I mean, is this probably the same kind of program? We're not talking about too many years between the two. We don't we don't know for sure. There's some of the same players yeah. you see over the years that seem to be involved in all of this. And Lear might have been playing that uh, role, you know. Um, he was really at the... the uh, kind of the key uh, guy at a lot of points in this story uh, it really uh, I mean he, he got uh, came to fame around the period of that MUFON symposium but it really started with George Knapp uh, interviewing Lear in uh, oh, it was probably 87 or so for uh, he had a public access show in Las Vegas there Mm-hmm. That uh, not a lot of people paid attention to, but Lear came on there one night and he was, uh, you know, telling all these uh, stories about an alien invasion and underground bases, and he kind of developed this story by this point, and it uh, really took off. There was a lot of interest in that program, and it was Lear uh, who brought in. Uh, Lazar, a couple uh, short time later, uh, Lazar came on uh, Knapp's public access show. At that time, he was going by the name of Dennis. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so it started this uh, craziness going on, and I caught wind of this. I wasn't aware of what Knapp was doing at that time, but in 1989, uh, I've always been into uh, AM talk radio, you know. At least I was back in that period, so I'd be tuning the dial and I uh, happened upon this show in Las Vegas called The Thing with Billy Goodman and uh, initially uh, he was uh, the focus of the show was like uh, Elvis is still alive conspiracies and uh, we'll we'll get to that trust me and and, uh, so UFOs came into the picture shortly after that show started and after while it became the Billy Goodman happening he started having all these guys on there this is where I first heard them I mean all of them uh, Lazar and Bill Cooper and Lear you know this predated Art Bell by a number of years and the show became real uh, popular you know and it was on a uh, wasn't a, a real heavy big watt station but at night you know it it was after 10 o'clock, so it really traveled through uh, different states. And that's how a lot of people learned about uh, these guys, Bill Cooper and Lear and Lazar and Bill English was on there. And uh, just a whole uh, 
bunch of uh, really entertaining uh, stuff for that period. That's how I learned, you know, about a lot of this. How I how I became woke. Right. Well, that makes me think of the uh, just the the media landscape. Like I know you all mentioned how the beginnings of the internet, you know, was was a big grounds for spreading this information. But at the time, you had a zine scene, you had smaller book distributors and VHS catalogs, things like that. Can you guys talk about some memories of that kind of stuff? This is kind of pre-internet before the internet really takes over the paranormal UFO conspiracy scene. Well, I will, I will say that, that one of the things that, that always sort, sort of hooked me into it in the, the early 90s when I was in high school, this is the next episode of The Saucer Life is coming up. We, we, we're going to be looking at the Weekly World News, the, um, oh, the, yeah. the yeah. you know, <laughs> Bat Boy and stuff like that. But, but yes. early on, you know, they, back in the early 80s, they did some, some actual UFO reporting because UFO organizations, you know, sold them the stories and, and the, the commentary and stuff on it. But one of the things looking through these, in 1987, 1988, 1989, what you have are in every issue, you've got at least one giant full page tabloid sized ad with like probably 2000 words of text by Timothy Green Beckley selling one of his his <laughs> crazy Timothy Green Beckley books. So this is where I first saw, you know, mention of, of Commander X and and stuff about underground bases and and I heard about Dulcie by reading the ads for Tim Beckley's books that he was mm. selling in in 91 92 93 and so then you know I sort of heard about it and then went to college a couple of years later and and got on on uh, Usenet and went to alt.alien.visitors and and you know <laughs> Soaked up all the reposted stuff from from the old Paranet uh, Paranet BBS mm-hmm. and and found all these Gopher sites with with just piles mm-hmm. of documents and FTP sites and and you know the web was was starting up but there was nothing on it yet so everything was was Usenet and Usenet and you know you'd get like an IP address for some FTP server somewhere and you'd go and it would it would be the same you know stack of of text files that had always been there one one time I found a, a text file full of IP addresses for um, U.S. Air Force bases. And uh, I decided one night, one Saturday night, I was going to try to, you know, get in, use like Telnet into these Air Force bases. And until my roommate just like walked over and unplugged my computer and says, we do not need to get, we do not need to get shot. Okay, just, just stop. <laughs> so he, uh, he sort of talks some sense into me. I was, I was 19. I thought it was a great idea, but, um, but that was, that was sort of my, my path was, was, um, man, God bless Tim Beckley. He, uh, he put so much stuff out there that, uh, that 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 hit a really wide audience that wasn't able to listen to these radio shows or didn't know about them and and weren't on the BBSs those uh, those inner light and global mm-hmm. communications press stuff um, you could find them in any bookstore. That guy is something else, by the way. He, he is. really is. We, he is. we had him on last year. I mean he he's he is a he is a wealth of information. Yeah, I got one of these catalogs around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I wanted to mention we were, as we were talking about uh, Billy Goodman, how that kind of evolved. The show itself didn't last uh, too long. Uh, it became real popular real fast. It was like, uh, remember the time it started from 10 to maybe 2 a.m. Then he start, they started getting all these uh, threats and stuff, and they were kept changing the hours 
to like midnight to 2, then the last time it was like 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. Who's going to listen to that? It was like he was uh, driven off the air, you know, because he was real popular. I don't know who if, if he it was actually, because he was having all these quote-unquote government whistleblowers on there, if it was actually that or just your average uh, kooks threatening the station. I think there was a bomb scare. But during this period, uh, Goodman and people... Uh, involved in the show started organizing these bus trips out to area 51 and that's you know where the whole thing started with the, with the rachel cafe then they named it the uh, little alien had you know some early conferences there with uh, the usual subs suspects you know lazar cooper norio hayakawa was real key to mm-hmm organizing this stuff and that's when they started having these rallies because it uh you know they meet at uh, the little alien and go out to the black mailbox and go up to freedom ridge or wherever it is you know and it started drawing huge crowds so at one you know at one point eventually uh the uh, the whack and huck uh, goon squads came in there and cut off uh, access and that's when a lot of there were some protests that uh, started, and they had rallies out there. And it kind of reminds me <laughs> what we're talking 20 years later. Now they're talking about uh, yeah. we need to storm Area 51. Sorry, there's a fantastic essay available on the Daily Grail for free. <laughs> uh, it's called Dirt Roads to Dreamland. It was written by Blair Mackenzie Blake, who is the uh, webmaster for the Tool Band uh, website, and he calls he, he tells his story of how he went to the Little Alien and you know checked out all the the the, the, the locals, and also he also met Norio Hayakawa, and he was by, by then he was already uh, a staunch skeptic. And then he went with to, to with his friends to the white mailbox and whatnot. They put their camp and they they uh, they had a little picnic and then you know they grilled some uh, steaks, whatever. And the next day, the guy felt like crap because he was he was absolutely convinced that someone dropped him, that someone entered his tent. Uh, in the middle of the night and 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 and, and, and drugged him with something uh, and so he was very you know uh, far out so there is definitely a, a really unconventional methods of surveillance that they have in that base aside from the typical camo dudes and aside from the from the, the sensors uh, that let that let them know that you have already you know trespassed the perimeter you know, he even tells a story that maybe they even have, you know, maybe if you want to believe that, uh, little drones are so small that they're almost like insects. You know, <laughs> that one of those, uh, like, landed on, on one of his friend's jacket. It was like a Shot huge, him up with the uh, toxin. Mosquito. Exactly. So I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a good essay, so check it out on, on the Daily Grail. I mean, one of the one of the things, uh, technologies, you know, the hidden technologies that come up in this story went from Benowitz on, 
is uh, the non-lethal stuff, you know, and that's where Ale- John Alexander uh, comes in, you know. That's... So <laughs> I wouldn't uh, put it past them, uh, you know, putting a beam on somebody mm-hmm. just to make them feel uncomfortable enough to want to get the hell out of there. I think right, it's entirely, right. entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Microwaves uh, systems to to, mm-hmm. to uh, contain uh, uh, crowds, yeah, yeah. And use yeah. that just to fuck with, with people who who are you know hanging around there. Yeah, like um, extremely low frequency yeah. waves mm-hmm. like that. I mean, that's that's old stuff. Yeah. I remember reading. This is a weird sort of reference, but the. Um, I'm probably the only one. It's one of those Mandela effect things. I can't remember if these books existed, but Alfred Hitchcock, <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock, and the three investigators. Um, this were like mm. three boy detectives, and the very first one, there was this haunted house, and it turns out that what was freaking people out in the haunted house was um, an organ had been modified to play notes like below the range of human hearing, but that just freaked people out. And I was like, I was like 10 <laughs> reading this mystery book and like, Oh, I wonder if I could like rig the church organ to do that because that'd be cool to do. But, um, <laughs> you know, something like that would be, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if, if that's what we were able to know about back in the fifties and sixties, I mean, they've got to have, I mean, way more efficient to, you know, blanket an area with something like that, or, or it's modern descendant than it is to send, uh, you know, guys in black pajamas, you know, out to, to rough people up. I, I bring well, I mean, this up. They've already up. got the sound cannon stuff. I bring this up because it's part of the story. If you looking at, uh, Dulce and the cattle mutilations and what, uh, Gabe Valdez discovered over time the the M.O., I guess you could say, of the mutilations uh, changed. And at uh, one point towards the end when he was investigating it, uh, he was pretty convinced, yeah, they were using some type of uh, low frequency or some type of beam weapons on the uh, cattle. They found evidence of that. Mm. So then at the well, same I, time, I, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, uh, I was just mentioning, I don't know, maybe it's related to this, but I found an interesting website of some guy who was debunking Bob Lazar, and he was saying that uh, those things that uh, Lazar was uh, showing to his friends that people, they thought that were UFOs, were actually testing, testing a, a, a proton beam. That they were firing up from from, from mm-hmm. Area Fifty One, yeah. that was creating some kind of like plasma. Yeah, you know that, which is why they were just bumping 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 up and down these these weird lights. I had never heard of that, and I find this to be such an interesting and very plausible idea that they were you know fumbling around with this uh, technology that. I believe it will be used, and this is maybe something you know that will be pertinent to to all these new UFO sightings that have been uh, promoted by to the stars. This technology could be used to fool enemy radars, you know, to create false hits, right? By creating you know these uh, temporary plasma plasma uh, balls, you know, these uh, artificial ball lightning. That will be able to disrupt 
uh, or, or fool an emulators into creating, you know, more uh, false bogey, bogeys. Uh, I, I th- at first, I thought that the, the Lazar UFOs were uh, early testing of drones, you know, in Area 51. Uh, to, to me, that sound, sounded like a more plausible theory. Um, but now that, that, that I read this, uh, I don't know if, if it will be int- something interesting to pursue. You know, I, I don't know if maybe something like that, a technology like that could be miniaturized and weaponized in a way that could also, you know, create those uh, burned uh, marks left in, in cattle mutilations. I, I think whatever Benowitz was probably seeing was probably something that was early drone technology. I think that's entirely possible. Yeah, hey, with... I, with oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to... Just one more thing about Lazar, about uh, this whole Element 115 thing. I mean, <laughs> Elephant 115 does exist now, but I mean, I, where all this comes from? Oh well, okay, yeah, so we it, knew that it were, Element 115 was going to be discovered eventually. Yeah, that there had to be something in, those, in, its, in that space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the 1960s, you know, uh, physicists were theorizing that there was going to be some kind of like island of stability that will be reached uh, by the number 115 of the of the periodic table, you know. So I guess this guy utilizes that in order to create his element 115. But of course, then element 115 was discovered. Its its uh, official name is Moscovium. I think it was discovered mm-hmm. in Russia. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, but it obvi- obvi- only lasted like you know a frac- fractions of a second because it's, a, it's still a very unstable element. But now Corvell and, and uh, Lazar are saying, well, and they're saying that they never said that it was just uh, any kind of uh, element 115. That is a very particular isotope, oh. the one that has the correct and the one that was used to fuel these things. So so. so it feels like Lazar is the kind of guy who will uh, pick elements here and there of, of current science and even, even from uh, ufology, like uh, Adam said, you know, to create what will be called a plausible, a plausible story. Either he or people who were feeding the information. Like, for example... The the sports model. The first time that I saw him, I, I, I was like, "Wait a minute! That was that's one of Billy Myers' Palladium beam ships, you know?" Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. So, yep. And I guess back then, in the in the late eighties, Billy Myers still had a sufficient amount of credibility for this guy to think, "Oh, you know, I think these are the best UFO photos available in the world. I guess I'm going to." <laughs> make my flying saucer look like those. Interesting. Well, something that we touched on, you know, as far as what what was the origin of what was going on with some of these figures, and it kind of gets into the realm of mind control, which had been kind of mm. going on in the conspiracy underworld as far as the, the satanic panic and some of this mind control stuff was already going on in the 80s, but really picked up in the early 90s, too. 
Um, so do you guys want to talk anything about that? Because this is when you really had the emergence of this, uh, the, these like monarch ideas coming out, and you had a few of these ladies saying that they're mind control CIA sex slaves and all that. And that's that's one of the most uh, one of the juiciest and most interesting parts of that conspiracy culture. That Some was, of them here in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, that conspiracy mm-hmm. culture. Oh, of the that's early 90s right. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was um when you said 80s and and 90s with with mind control I was sort of looking over my bookshelf and uh my my copy my paperback copy of of uh Walter Bauert's Operation Mind Control uh mm-hmm. dates from the 70s and and earlier books like We Were Controlled and a lot of the sort of prehistory of the mind control stuff comes out in in the even even the the 50s and 60s out of fears about, about anti-communist uh, yeah and, and yeah fears about brainwashing you got Manchurian candidate type of stuff and then in the 1960s with with were we controlled there's sort of this this theory about Oswald being a mind control being a Manchurian candidate basically and that's the book where it was written I don't know who really wrote it, it was written under a pseudonym and of course I can't remember it either and my eyes are too old to see the shelf from here Lincoln but, Lawrence um, <laughs> Lincoln Lawrence that was it um and and this is where when later in the 90s you hear about people like um Dr. Jose Delgado you know pioneering like mechanical implants to control people's minds you had Lincoln Lawrence mm-hmm. uh, or you know talking about that in where we controlled so the seeds were planted back in the in the late 50s and 60s and 70s and then when the MK ultra stuff you know becomes becomes public knowledge and and you've got um you've got Richard Helms saying well there were more paperwork for there was more paperwork too but we accidentally incinerated a bunch of it um yeah, right. so which which i mean honestly i can believe they did but uh it's <laughs> it also you know i i've worked for government people that i can easily see mislabeled boxes being dumped or, or and it's such a plausible thing that you know whether mm-hmm. re- regardless there's more information out there which means um even though we don't yeah, see but right before the church committee though well hey you know stuff happens man you know all all this all this shit happens so um but then the great thing about the the missing documentation is anybody can come up with any mind control story and say that well the reason you don't know about this one is because it was probably in the documents that they brought right. so there's this sort of this sort of sort of you know very credible hole in our knowledge about about government mind control programs where you know people can construct narratives like the like some of the monarch stuff and some of the really far out stuff the the Kathy O'Brien and the Bryce Taylor sort of things yeah. and um Man, the Kathy O'Brien stuff. That was the that was the first mind control stuff I read because there was like an excerpt that was circulating on the internet and and it was like if I buy this book, this is basically pornography. And <laughs> and if like somebody visiting picks it up and looks at it, I, I don't want this in my house. You know? Well, how did we describe it? I think it was like porno for right wingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember was, being twelve and like reading it at Tower Books. And, oh God! <laughs> shit. Oh God! That's. <laughs> Oh man, um, that that's my my favorite part of that is is when uh, they talk about Cheney chasing her and her daughter through the woods, like Big hunting Dick them. Cheney. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he called it he called it his most dangerous game. And I was thinking, you mean the the Richard Matheson story? Uh, I think it was Richard Matheson. You know, the right. short story the short yeah. story I read in in freshman English. This is a, yeah. you know, this, uh, but um, so much weird stuff and so much. I mean, 
I you have no doubt. You could that, totally see Cheney doing that, though. So oh well, and that's that's the thing. But but you know, I could see Cheney doing it. You know, in two thousand two thousand one, when when Dick Cheney, as we know him, sort of you know becomes this sort of you know sort sort of the 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 stereotypical Dick True, Cheney yeah. char- character. Uh, but you know, earlier uh, he, he was Good just point. you know yeah. a, a random Secretary of Defense, um, yeah. just bald guy from Wyoming. So. Um, it, it's it, it, what's clear to me in in that book, and I don't know about I don't know as much about the Bryce Taylor stuff, but in uh, in the Kathy O'Brien stuff, it, it's it's clear that that she has undergone some sort of trauma, and yes. uh, and and people believe she has, and and I I don't know if I've mentioned this on on this show or not, but um, this podcast or not, but um, when when her father died, I, I looked up the obituary in uh, in Muskegon, Michigan, you know, an hour or so from me, and the the guest book at the funeral home was just full of the most vile comments about how they they hoped he rotted in hell because they know what he did from reading Transformation of America, oh and I'm God. I'm just like oh God, what the hell is wrong with you people? But, don't don't um, forget uh, Boxcar Willie. He was right in the middle box, of that too. Yeah. Bo- Boxcar <laughs> Willie and. And you know, and 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 somehow, what's what's hilarious is, is, and and I think I might have had a part in spreading this around a little bit because it was fun and I was confused. Not to interrupt but, you, but later on, Boxcar Willie does come up in the David Ike stuff as a reptilian. I was going to say, you know, yeah, the, the, yeah. this idea he's a lizard of person. Boxcar Willie is a lizard person. That where does that appear? That idea just doesn't. I mean, he. It just sort of like appeared out of the internet. Uh, this sort of like conglomeration of of all of these different sort of memes. Because um, he shows up in the Kathy O'Brien stuff, and there's some reptilian overtones in the Kathy O'Brien stuff. Yeah. And so somewhere down the line, well, Boxcar Willie was a lizard person, and and somebody <laughs> who isn't part of this sort of scene at all mocked up an album. Have you seen the album cover? The, no. the, oh my God! I got I got There's somebody mocked up a Boxcar Willie album cover, and all the songs are like reptilian themed. Oh, wow. it, yeah. What? <laughs> it, it, it's hilarious, and it's just it's sort of took on a life of its own. Um, it's it's bizarre. Uh, Adam, do you want to add anything to that kind of uh, that uh, mind control uh, meme of the uh, of the time? I'll add to. Um... Oh, not me. Go right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was uh, before we uh, got going on this. I was thinking of uh, we were talking about the beam weapon type stuff, technology going on, and maybe you know microwaves trained it uh, people. You know, it's mind control. That's what a lot of the TIs uh, suggest. They're being targeted with microwaves, and Benowitz had this uh, thing pretty early on when they were doing the uh, regression sessions with, uh, what's her name, Myrna Hansen, that he was convinced the aliens were uh, beaming him. In fact, when they did those those, uh, regression sessions... He uh, Benowitz came up with what he called ground rules for re- regression, and uh, one of them he uh, described in the Project Beta papers is to you know to be able to uh, regress uh, Myrna Hansen. They needed to deflect those beams away because the aliens would be screwing with the operation, and you know they try to undermine the regression session. So he took his Lincoln Town car and they put several layers of uh, foil 
aluminum foil around it to you know block the alien beams. But so Benowitz became was that the origin of the aluminum of the aluminum foil hat? The, uh... <laughs> I don't know. It might have contributed to that, but uh, yeah. Benowitz became uh, convinced, yeah, that the aliens were uh, beaming him, and he came up with a whole system to deal with this stuff. But uh, and he claimed they. He could feel their scan, you know, when they they would scan him periodically, and even that uh, showed some burn marks. And Bill Moore talked about it too. I think it was an episode of Radio Mysterioso where he was uh, with Benowitz one time, and Benowitz was talking about the scan that was going on, and Moore claimed that he felt it himself. You know, it was like somebody was doing a uh, survey of him. He could feel that uh, beam running across his body. So there was that going on with Benowitz, and there was also these orbs that showed up in his house. And uh, different people claimed to see him. I mean, the sources are a little sketchy. It's Once again, it's uh, more in... Uh, Benowitz, but other people who were involved uh, with cattle mutilations during that uh, period, ranchers and stuff, saw orbs at their property that would like, you'd see them, they'd kind of show up before a cattle mutilation, and uh, and there was even one, uh, read one account where uh, there was a scientist who went out to... Uh, one of the mutilation site and found actually an, an inert orb sitting there that he they took in and analyzed it and uh, what uh, Greg Valdez talks about they found some crystals inside this orb and what uh, Greg Valdez speculated uh, they were using these orbs as basically uh, to monitor. Benowitz and the, the crystals themselves, uh, you know, they were used as uh, kind of a navigational control over these orbs. And you see, uh, uh, during recent conflicts between Israel and Hezbollah, sometime back before uh, a lot of the uh, bombing hits, there was a uh, film of these orbs showing up beforehand. So these might, you know, be devices they were you know the beam technology and these orbs they were just using on uh, Benowitz during that uh, period uh, experimenting with some of this stuff and uh, one to kind of uh, convince them that aliens were doing this but also as a way of uh, monitoring him we see that picture that you sent us Aaron uh, yeah, yeah, and the um, the creator of it is uh, is Connor Lastoka, who's a writer for uh, RiffTracks.com that some of the Mystery Science Theater guys oh, okay. uh, started yeah. up. So cool. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was him that did it, but I wasn't sure. So yeah, um, Boxcar Willie's greatest hits with songs <laughs> like like um, Passing as Human, Pay No Mind to David Ike, and I Ain't Part <laughs> of No Reptilian Cabal. So, <laughs> are these actual well, songs somebody has done? No, somebody just it's mocked just, up uh, yeah, just, gotcha. just the album cover. Yeah, his greatest hits or something. Well, I want to add to what Adam said too. Um, you know, again, probably just we may be dealing with some kind of like technology. And with Benowitz, I mean, there seemed to be a concerted effort to just drive the guy insane. Well, and that you know, I mean, that ultimately uh, happened because yeah. he became uh, 
convinced at one point that the uh, aliens were walking through his walls and uh, shooting him up with drugs. And that's really? that's the period, yeah, where he yeah. got really strung out. He was just like chain smoking around the uh, clock. And uh, one of the odd things that uh, Christian Lambright, if you're familiar with his book *Ex Descending*, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, at the point where Lear or where uh, Benowitz snapped, it was right after Lear had come on uh, the scene, and it was. Uh, I'm trying to remember the time frame here. It was, uh, it was kind of uh, uh, prior to that MUFON symposium when Lear was running around, kind of bringing together the Dulce base story, and uh, he. Uh, around 88, sometime in 88, where he actually went to Benowitz, met with Benowitz and stayed at his uh, house there for a couple days, uh, exchanging information, and uh, apparently, the story's not real clear, Lear made some promises to Benowitz that he was going to do certain things for him, and shortly after that uh, meeting is when Almost immediately after that meeting with Lear is when uh, Benowitz basically checked out of uh, ufology, left the field, uh, uh, basically uh, canceled his phone number. uh, And so something happened with uh, him and Lear. A lot of people uh, speculate. uh, Now, what what, you know was... (laughs) Was Lear playing the role of uh, some type of handler or something? Was uh, Lear undermining yeah, his that. work? Uh, a lot of the times when you look at uh, some of the people uh, involved in ufology, it seems they're sent in as uh, disruptors, you know, to meet with other researchers, vacuum up as much information they can, uh, feed, you know, different researchers bogus information to t- you know to try to uh, discredit uh, them and you know if that was uh, Lear's uh, you know if that's you know possibly one of the things uh, Lear was doing it seems like he was uh, effective in driving Benowitz out of the field at least played a role in that I want to add to what uh, Serfio was saying about uh, just kind of like the satanic panic, because really in the 90s the satanic panic stuff really starts to co- to take off. I mean, it starts in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. It's weird how the satanic panic and the whole UFO conspiracy kind of run parallel to each other. Yeah. So much so that one of the alternate explanations for cattle mutilations mm. were were satanic cults, mm-hmm. right? And so this is the kind of like the milieu that's going on where you got the Mick Martin preschool case. I believe that lasted like, like 1990 to 91. So that's not done until the 90s. And then 1993, you've got like the West Memphis Three. Um, you've got all this different kind of um, – you know, the music is changing. The culture is changing. You've got a huge backlash against that. And so, you know, any you guys want to kind of speak towards any of that um, – about to the whole uh, satanic panic aspect of the 90s, which I think really got replaced when 9-11 occurred. Like, you know, the 
the fear got put somewhere else. Yeah, it seemed, yeah. seemed to um, be oh, less interest after 9-11. Go ahead, Aaron. Um, yeah. I, was, I was just going to say that um, – that in in sort of you had the, the McMartin preschool stuff and you had other other things like that. You, you've also had um, a book in in Christian circles, especially evangelical circles, called "The Satan Seller" by yeah. Mike Warn by Mike Warnke that came out in '72. And uh-huh. and I remember you know hearing him on the radio doing his I you know his whole I was a former satanic high priest spiel. There's and, lots and, of those. There's lots. Yeah, of those. yeah. He was he was one of the big ones, and he was the one who got the attention of the uh, the people who ran the big uh, sort of Christian contemporary Christian music music uh, labels in Nashville uh, back in back in the 80s, and so he was able to to sort of hook into the the sort of he had way better promotion um and 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 stuff than a lot of people did and and in the, in the in the early 90s i think um a, a christian magazine at chicago cornerstone magazine um exposed basically that that his entire story was just complete lies and and they uh they um the uh, the the journalist did a book about it i think back in the the late 90s early 2000s where they went through their um their whole thing and and Warren Key now his his ministry is all about helping helping people in ministry who've been slandered and and had their reputations destroyed um which is probably <laughs> fitting but um yeah it, it, so that's an interesting from the the sort of sort of Christian side of it you know before you had McMartin preschool and cattle mutilations and all that stuff there was this this thread running through Jack Chick tracts about mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons being evil and things like that Heavy <laughs> isn't he the guy who who does the whole spiel about the uh, the record labels having these secret temple rooms where they they put the master in oh, there and who yeah was that guy and that oh. was Jack Chick that was somebody else there, well, there's also uh, John Todd who done John Todd, that's with with, uh, Warren Key, his part of his story was that he was the leader of a uh, Illuminati like cult, satanic cult, and that you know that was uh, (laughs) part of the sensationalism of his story, you know. So that kind of spread into uh, culture all this stuff about these secret bloodlines of Illuminati's. families that have part of these uh satanic cults you know that are uh hidden and yeah that evolved over time i guess by the late 80s yeah there became a, like a media frenzy there for a bit with uh Geral- i remember seeing some of geraldo's yep. show he really jumped on that uh, crazy train even oprah and some of these even other oprah people, yeah. yeah so yeah it became a it's a pretty wild time yeah, and but I think really that you can laugh at that stuff in a way now, like the Harada Rivera documentary. I mean, it's it's ridiculous in many ways, but it had real effects. I mean, people really went to jail because of these overzealous prosecutors. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially West Memphis Three. I mean, West Memphis Three was probably the worst of them all, as far as like people, innocent people. The satanic panic, essentially. And because the police were so willing to listen to these quote-unquote experts. Well, yeah, and some of the experts were basically conspiracy theorists like uh, Ted Gunderson, who really pulled all (laughs) of the the satanic uh, panic stuff into into conspiracy culture. And, uh, you know, his bona fides was that he had... 
you know, formerly worked for the uh, FBI, I think ran the uh, Los Angeles field office, you know, so he could point to that. Yeah, I'm a former FBI agent, but now I'm here to, uh, you know, tell the truth of what's going on. This was, of course, after he retired. He never brought any of this stuff up when he was still an active FBI agent. Uh, he seemed... He, Gunderson seemed to jump on any any type of uh, story and connect you know these satanic panic stuff and connect them to MK Ultra mind control, but you know it gave. Adam. Oops. So you know the, uh... it, it it gave people something to point to that uh, hey this former FBI. Mucky Muck is, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's basically saying that these stories are true. And and this stuff still tries to come back. It struggles Absolutely. to come back now because you, you even got like, there's, there's several Illuminati, ex-Illuminati witches. I even had one on the show one time. <laughs> and, you know, like they, but, but this stuff really just struggles to come back and they always have the same stories. And it's interesting to me how those ex-Illuminati witches are pretty much almost telling you the same exact story that the um, ex-Martian uh, super soldiers tell you. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's like alien abductions, too. A lot of those uh, seem to be yeah. the same basic story. Right, right. I mean, to me, as, a, as, a, as a, an outsider of American society, uh, it's interesting to, uh, to, to study these trends. Uh, the satanic panic, you know, being such a like a backlash from the the 1970s when everything went right uh sexual experimentation drugs uh, all these which then uh, some sectors of american society got tired of it and that's when you get the the moral majority you know winning the white house and refusing to let it go and when the Republican Party became like the party of uh, Christian fundamentalism, uh, and on the other hand, all these ideas of mind control, uh, you know, uh, MK Ultra uh, programs, right? To me, it's obvious why Americans are so scared of it because American society. I mean, the the first and foremost thing that Americans value is their individuality their so-called individuality. So the, mo the the scariest thing for them is to be deprived of that, whether, you know, use, by the use of subliminal messages or by the use of some kind of like uh, a strange technology or by the use of people with a different political agenda that are you know, going to take away their God-given rights. So... <laughs> All of that plays uh, with uh, with with the paranormal, obviously, because in the paranormal, those fears some kind get boosted out of proportion, right? Yeah. yeah. Was there any bleed over into into Mexico at the time? With those ideas, mind control panic. or satanic panic? Well, maybe. What we have in Mexican society at the time in the 1980s is the fear of the narco satanicos, 
Yeah. You know, this the idea that uh, car- drug cartels, some of those drug cartels were performing satanic rituals, which we now understand that were not the case. They were just uh, uh, one of the, I don't want to say the early displays because it's actually not the case, but the first time that um, the mainstream of Mexican society got in touch with what we now know is the Santa Muerte cult. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. So if the police busted a, a, a drug house, you know, and seized, a few kilos of marijuana and, and some guns, and they found, oh, my God, where, what is this strange statue of a skull with some candles? Oh, my God, this is obviously that these guys worship the devil. And maybe in some cases there were rituals in which some kind of, like, uh, blood rituals, maybe some kind of, like, animal sacrifices went down. Maybe even something worse, because you know we cannot discount the possibility that some the uh, devout uh, followers of Santa Muerte also sometimes go to extremes, you know, which has been the case uh, even recently. There was a, a, a very notorious case of a serial killer, something that is extremely rare in Mexico, by the way, that. Uh, killed women, then performed necrophilia with them, and also uh, used their body parts for strange uh, Santa Muerte rituals. So there was that. There was that fear in Mexican society back in the in, in the 1980s. Well, there was that uh, group in uh, Montemoros. Remember that? Uh, mm. uh, yeah. Which one? got... That got uh, tied into all of this uh, satanic conspiracy stuff because there were some people murdered out there that were uh, ritual sacrifices. If you remember that whole story, and that got kind of blown out of proportion, I think. And, you know, tied into a larger grand conspiracy. That was that was all going around that satanic panic period. So specifically, I don't remember that, but I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, I McGowan mean, McGowan writes about that in um, yeah. Program to Kill. Yeah. So oh, around okay. this time, all this stuff is going on, and then of course on uh, March 6, 1991, uh, George Bush Senior gives his infamous "Toward a New World Order" speech, oh, and that well. more than anything seems to really kind of galvanize a lot of this political conspiracy culture that's already going on that has ties to this mind control satanic panic stuff and that becomes the buzzword of probably the whole entire 90s and even survives into the the next century well it, it even penetrated pro wrestling you know the the, <laughs> the the nwo was you know the biggest the biggest draw of the of the of the mid to late 90s and you know it you know it it wasn't a political thing but it was in the air enough that when hogan was sort of extemporizing what they would you can call this the new world order of wrestling brother and it it just stuck because that phrase was so you know it just was so you know had permeated the culture to such a degree and i always felt kind of bad for for you know you know for 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 bush because i mean it's it's a it's it's a it's a sensible foreign policy statement to make right that the, yeah, the soviet the union is architecture 
yeah, it, it's like you know the the old collective security you know way we had done things is going to need to change, and and this is going to involve a, a reorganization to a you know it's a multipolar world now instead of a a you know bipolar world, but you know what I mean, and you know it, it's you know it, and it just gets gets picked up because well the Latin on the Great Seal of the United States you know it it, it says New World Order there and and um, Anthony. Uh, Anthony Hilder. I don't know if you guys are familiar with with Anthony Hilder. Um, he was a radio guy and and music producer and, and big conspiracy guy. And, and he would do these little remixes back in the '90s. And he had you know George Bush saying, "Oh, Adam said he lost power." Really? Um, I'm still here. Yeah, Adam. Adam saying message. Yeah. yeah wow. They're. Uh, They've been ta- the elu- just when you were ta- just it, when you were talking about the new world order, happens every time I mention the Illuminati or the new world or Skype does something weird. Man, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> they're out to get me. Yeah. So Adam's gone, huh? Yeah, I just I got um, sent a, a chat that said, "Where are the chats?" Why are my chats showing up? I hate Skype. Um, let's see. They found me, it says. Ah. Huh. Well. But. Yeah, okay, yeah. Adam saying we lost power at 925. <laughs> um that sucks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh. Not sure what oh, else he, to say. <laughs> he's uh <laughs> telling you that in chat? Yeah. Yeah, in the, the Skype chat here. The Skype so, chat, so they've yeah. they've lost electricity. That's what it's around. that's what it sounds like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Either that or they run their podcast on Steam, so <laughs> well, the, the the gerbil running in in the wheel, powering the generator, has failed. Um, yeah, it's like Adam's granny, who is the one that's riding the bicycle that powers the generator. <laughs> Mom, <laughs> keep pedaling. Like, keep pedaling. I actually, ha- I actually have a recording going, so we could like finish this up and <laughs> send that to them, and they could edit it into the rest of the show. Oh, that's that's very forward thinking of you. Yeah. So, uh, did you con- uh, finish your thought on the New World Order and Anthony Hilder? And- oh, he just he just had this um this sort of like like remix dance remix where it's it's like talking about jackbooted thugs and then George Bush going new 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 world order you know over and over <laughs> again and and Bill, yeah I think Bill, I've heard that Bill Cooper would use it as as bumper music um, or music when he was off drinking between uh, parts of his show and stuff so. Yeah, yeah, Hilder was a, he had a history in the John Birch Society, you know, and they, New World Order wasn't uh, something new. It did, it had been bubbling there in, the, you know, right. John Birch Society, maybe using different terms, you know, but it was basically all the uh, insidious stuff that was going on with, uh, you know, uh, all these uh, different countries coming together under the uh, banner of the UN and multiculturalism and all of that stuff that was going to uh, 
undermine us and uh, you know turn us all into communists or whatever. Yeah, yeah, undermine American institutions and, and yeah. you know turn everybody. Yeah, I've never words, understood. Uh, yeah. I've never, I've never understood. Why is it that you guys are so freaked out about the United Nations? I mean, you guys host the United Nations in New York. Well, well, we're, we're not freaked out about it, but it was something the John Birch Society and those uh, who wanted to be more, you know, isolated in the world. Yeah. That, uh, yep. They wanted to, and, uh, you know, it's kind of the thing you got going on now with uh, Russia trying to break up. NATO and the UN and a lot of these when countries come together and start, uh, you know, coming up with some basic laws and stuff or when they're on the same page about human rights, etc. Yeah, and the, the 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 UN thing, especially in the in the fifties and sixties and in the seventies, it, it wasn't as much a, a like a liberal conservative thing as it was a a branches of conservatism thing. So you had people like the John Birch Society who were deeply sort of suspicious of the um, of sort of the East Coast establishment mm-hmm, um, right. establishment types, even within the Republican Party. I mean, you know, Nelson Rockefeller was you know about as Republican as as as, you, as, as they come, but he's a you know he's a East Coast. Um, East Coast, you know, establishment, you know, um, country club Republican, you know, from from New York. So it's it's not necessarily Democrat versus Republican. It's 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 more um, it's more nationalist versus internationalist and a a suspicion of of who is gaining political power within the United States. um, I mean, they were suspicious, suspicious of Nixon, too, with detente with China, you know, that he had also fallen under the sway of the uh, communists yeah and and that 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 wing starts to to get more power in the in the 70s which is why you know Gerald Ford you know very much a a you know foreign well he was only vice president cuz nixon was like i'm going to be leaving and i need somebody who <laughs> agrees with me on foreign policy to be the new vice president cuz spiro agnew and we'll, like pardon you know, me also would be nice <laughs> yes yes and but but when 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 ford signs the helsinki accord which basically says okay okay the eastern europe we we won't we won't screw with Eastern Europe. Um, you know, you know, it's a capitulation, and, and Ford is, you know, a fingernail away from not getting the Republican nomination in '76 of, of Reagan getting it. And in order to sort of get that nomination, he basically has to say, okay, yeah, we'll we'll walk back a lot of that stuff, and we'll be more hardline. Um, and 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 so that that struggle is, is sort of the uh, the the outgrowth of of sort of that that more anti-internationalist wing of uh, of the Republican Party. And you know, on the Democratic side, you don't have that anti-internationalism. What what you have as much as anything else is a a wing of the Democratic Party that that simply you know abdicates all responsibility for foreign policy to the Republicans because you know. We, we've got to keep the union votes and the civil rights movement. So you, you, you've got these sort of different factions within political parties working too. And, and the conspiratorial side of it was was one of these one of these factions. You, you, mm-hmm. you, you just heard yeah. like like week thirteen of my U.S. history class right there. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so uh, yeah, the the. the uh, 
then after uh, you know Bush said that is when yeah people really jumped on to the new world order thing like you said Bill Cooper <laughs> every episode was about the uh, new world order and all the people involved whether it was the Bushes and the Clintons and on and on and on until we finally got uh, Trump in there is going to bust up the whole damn racket with these uh-huh. internationalists. Oh yeah, he's um yeah the the man with businesses all over the world is is, is clearly <laughs> not an internationalist in any way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh. So we want to wind this up. Anybody? Uh, I'm like I'm like the host now. Uh, you got some yeah, uh, closing words, Art? Red pill. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the '90s were obviously important to me because I started to get more in, uh, started to get involved with the with the conspiracy side of the internet uh, using my college computer. I was reading all this stuff about Bob Lazar. S4 and Area 51 on the Groom Lake Desert Rat newsletter. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell, yeah. I was When I was reading, like, yeah, forget Bob Lazar, you know. We, you have to l- l- uh, learn about J-Rod. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the guy building these flight simulators to for the pilot school actually learn to 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 fly the flying saucers, and also when I learned that apparently hung- Hungarian is the the language that is closest to to how the aliens speak. Having you know, tried to also- having you know having tried <laughs> to learn Hungarian um, when I was a kid from my grandpa who promised me a hundred bucks if I could carry on a conversation in Hungarian with him, I I can absolutely see that it's a weird weird language. <laughs> George yeah, Soros a, is Hungarian. It all comes together. Yeah. It all comes full circle. So, yeah, but I guess the conspiracies back then were uh, when you see what's going on right now with the world, you know, Pizzagate, QAnon, those conspiracies from the 90s were harmless and even cute, you know, in a kind of like, oh, well, people are, are trying to to educate themselves, you know, away from the from the the, the establishment and the grip of mm-hmm. the man. But now is like people are really really angry and they're trying to find an outlet for that anger, and that anger uh, that outlet is conspiracy theories, and conspiracy theories are turning darker. And, and and more troublesome. Well, I mean, the people right. are turning them darker. They've been weaponized as political propaganda, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And also the fact that now uh, conspiracies and mainstream politics are, you know, crossing crossing the streams more than ever. Right? I mean, you have a, a oh, conspiracy yeah. in the White House. You know, every time he opens his mouth, he's he's complaining about all the people that are out to get him. You know, the fake news, uh, uh, his political adversaries, 
uh, Mueller, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, so it's it's really weird here in Mexico. Something similar is happening. Uh, we have we have a left wing populist, but his rhetoric mm-hmm. is really similar to to Donald Trump's. He hates he hates uh, main, uh, uh, independent media. He would like, he has said that he would like uh, media to be nice to him, you know, <laughs> because that's, that's the job of the media, <laughs> to cuddle to the president. And he's always... Well, well yeah, that authoritarianism can come from either side of the political spectrum very easily. You look right. back, <laughs> Trump back in the 70s or 80s, you know, kind of... Uh, presented himself as a liberal back in those days so it's it's whatever is most politically advantageous if you're authoritarian curious you know uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter what end of the political spectrum you're on uh, i think yeah. I, I think in the 90s um from my perspective we you, I mean, I, I see what you're saying about the the sort of more innocence of the of the conspiracy theories, but then at the same time, you had things like uh, the Oklahoma City bombing um, that was you know driven yeah. driven by by conspiratorial thinking about you know a tyrannical government under under the Clintons, um, and they did refer to it as the Clintons. You know, they were you know evil co-presidents. Oh yeah, totally. And um and, and so you had you know that sort of conspiracism, you know. You know, blossoming into 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 direct action like that. And I think the '90s were the period where where the conspiracism of the of the '70s and '80s sort of became much more uh, much more mainstream. If, if you um, been doing some reading for 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 a project about um, what was going on out west in the uh, in in the '70s and '80s and the, and the posse comitatus and uh, Gor- oh, yeah. Gordon Call and uh, that and, started. And, uh pretty close to where i live yeah yeah and it, it's town of mariposa right and it's um and so a lot of the a lot of the rhetoric of, of the posse comitatus and uh and the tax protest movement um you know it, it's been there for you know decades and in the 90s um not just because of internet but also uh, also because of am and shortwave radio at least here in the states you start to um you start to see those messages spread and um, cheap, and, and this is something that doesn't get talked about enough: the importance of cheap photocopying to um, to spreading uh, spreading these ideas as well. Uh, when you mm-hmm. can when you can go into any strip mall and find a Kinkos and and run off 500 copies of of your newsletter and and you know get bulk mailing rates, that's uh, that's that's a, a pretty big uh, advantage over the old days of of mimeographs and typing things up on stencils and things. So that that yeah, you know, one yeah. of the, one of those technologies that doesn't yeah. get talked about as much. Yep, that was kind of the uh, you know really what uh, got the zine movement uh, going was more access to copying machines. You know, they were a lot. Uh, cheaper by that time as we got into the uh, 80s anybody could do it you know mm-hmm. is, is 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 adam back yeah I'm, adam. I'm here but yeah i'm on my uh i'm on my computer so has someone been recording the conversation it, yes. it is i have been recording it so i can give you <laughs> oh nice awesome good you're a lot of play 
I just have an automatic recorder that uh, okay. comes up. So yeah, that's good. Excellent. When okay. I watch Skype. All right. Let's uh, let's get hooked back into him, Sergio. He's gonna try to. Sorry about that, guys. It's just a bad storm. Just rolled on through and just knocked the power off for like 10 minutes and knocked off the the recording that that we have. As soon as I mentioned, as soon as we talked about the New World Order. As soon as we talked about the New World Order, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. There's no coincidences. (laughs) I I suspect it's some combination of the harp array and chemtrails. Yeah, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to start to see. And we can record in Skype, too. So it may be a good idea. If you're recording anyway. Excellent. Yeah, well, you're a lifesaver, man. We owe you one for this one. <laughs> get, you to Na- get you to Nashville, get you to where the stars play. and uh, Fiddler's in. That's where the mind control center is, anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly, uh, boxcar Willie hung that's out. That's where boxcar Willie hung out. Right. Mm. So let me. Uh, I'm gonna hang up here, and we're gonna call you back from Sergio's computer so he can record. So from what I can tell, Leo Sprinkle appeared in the Weekly World News like a dozen times in the '80s. It was weird. He was like their go-to alien abduction research guy. Yeah, like we were uh, discussing, they probably had an APRU contact. APRU was feeding them stuff. Yeah. I would would guess. And and then even after APRU was gone, you know, uh, they just kept sort of of kept um, Sprinkle on the the line. And then Stringfield uh, showed up, too, talking about (laughs) underground, talking about an underground base. And and Bill English was um, the featured expert in the uh the cash landrum article but then by the time you get to the, yeah. the whole like space alien meets with with you know president bush they've got a fake uh, a fake ufo researcher uh nathaniel dean that they, at least <laughs> I, I can't find any trace of him anywhere but the weekly world news um he's sort of like ed anger you know or dear Dottie, you know it's just one of the the people yeah. they, they come up with but uh you know, the, the hardest thing in this episode is not just making the whole thing Dear Dottie columns, because that was the funniest thing in the newspaper most of the time. <laughs> but I am including some Dear Dottie stuff. Probably sometime, this had to be in the 90s, early to mid-90s, I think it was uh, World Weekly News. I worked in uh, fire suppression then, you know. Mm-hmm. Wildland fires, and there was a World Weekly News that had a on the cover a flying saucer with a lightning bolt coming out of it, starting a forest fire, and that was like the lead cover story was that a UFO starts massive wildfire. I I remember I remi- that one, yeah. Yeah, I mi- I <laughs> stuck it in the wall of my office, you know, just because I thought it was uh, <laughs> funny. And another well, guy worked, now have, worked with, now worked with a, those fires from Italy. <laughs> what about him? They're saying that's you uh, have heard of it. There's this the 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 idea that of these uh, unexplained fires. I think they haven't been explained yet. That happened in Sicily in 2004. That almost oh. like 
Right. I mean, who says they're unexplained? (laughs) Well, I mean, they... People who were trying to investigate them, sometimes they were told not to. So there's this idea that maybe there were arsons perpetrated by the mafia, but still, it's they're strange, you know. Maybe people thought they were kind of like poltergeist activity. Well, the guests have continued without us. <laughs> with me, with me coming back in, yeah, we 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 lost power um, yeah. completely, and it was pitching a bitch outside. Man. Was... Yeah, fortunately, Garali was recording this whole entire time, so I, I don't think. I don't... Well, I believe so. I see. Yeah, it's still going. Apparently, yeah, I wasn't okay. sure if it was going to stop once you guys left. But as long as my Skype's been going, I think it's been recording. Yeah, so it should be. Should 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 record everything. So. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think it would. I don't think it would. I don't think it would stop. Um, so, what have you guys been talking about? <laughs> conspiracy, conspiracy culture in the '90s, mostly. Awesome. You'll, oh, have okay. to, you'll have to wait till I send you the audio file <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. to find out. Yeah. As soon as we talk about New World Order, man. If you subscribe to Adam's Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> We can try to do some. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of just kind of want to leave it in, really. Just like this is the host disappear. And yeah, <laughs> that is kind of cool. Man. We're sitting here. Like, oh yeah, I'd leave leave some around. of it in for sure. Yeah. That's that's community right there, guys. That's brotherhood. Man, you guys save the day. God damn. <laughs> you know, on Patreon, um, they can get the whole unedited raw Skype feed, in, including you know me texting my wife to bring me a beer and and you know, <laughs> you know things things like that. So all that insider stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's only it's for the fan. FBI guys. raid now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call me. I'll call you. <laughs> Uh, Red Pill, I don't think you mentioned this, but uh, you and I, we talked on we talked on Facebook. Um, we were talking about a couple of things from the '90s, Chupacabras, yeah. and Chupacabra. then you mentioned the assassination of Luis Donato Colosio. Did I say that right? Yeah, right. Okay. Which is a has a a, a documentary out. Yeah, which I haven't seen yet. That my, uh, I'm ashamed to 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 say. I remember very well when that happened. I was uh, in the workshop at, at my college. It was probably 2 p.m. or something when someone came and said, "Yeah, they just killed Luis Donaldo Colosio," and everybody everybody was like, "What?" Because I mean, totally unprecedented, a presidential candidate being assassinated. And to this day, you know, I guess if if you ask the Mexican on the street, hey, who killed Luis Donaldo Colosio? They will say, well, Carlos Salinas was the president at the time. The idea is that the president of Mexico killed this guy who, who was running for his party and he had appointed him to be the candidate. That's what they used to do back in the good old days of, of, of the pre, the, the, the pre-party. Mm. Uh, but at some point, I guess, Luis Donaldo started, started to go rogue and started to, to annoy Salinas. There was this speech that he gave, I don't, I don't remember when or where, 
when he said, you know, I see a Mexico that is hunger, hungry for just hunger for justice. And I don't think that's sat too well with the president to say like, what are you saying, dude? And also, by, uh, and, and during those days, we had the problem of the Zapatista rebels in the south, oh, right? Yeah. Which was also really unprecedented. I mean, for a Mexican that was born in the seventies and then was in the twenties in the nineteen nineties to see, oh my God, you know. There's there's a gorilla in Mexico, like something that you used to only read that happened in, in Nicaragua and Guatemala and and the other countries, the other countries in Latin America, but in Mexico we ha- have managed to avoid it, right? Turns out that we we really didn't. You know, there was there were always being. Uh, uh, insurrections and guerrilla groups in Mexico is just that the, the government was very su- successful in keeping them uh, under control and keep keeping them under wraps by controlling the the, the media. But yeah, that the, the, those were really really uh, wild years. And also, I remember in 1996 uh, there was another group, another guerrilla group that uh, appeared in. in, in the state of, of, of Guerrero and also during those years is when the Chupacabras started to, to be mentioned in Mexican media the Chupacabras, if you guys remember the whole thing started in Puerto Rico I think it started in 1995 yep. when there were people calling from this uh, area that is very close to um, uh, an American military base that uh, is no longer running, if I'm, if I'm correct, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's in, I want to say, Beckes, something like that. That's when they were people were claiming to see this creature that was described as some kind of like uh, two-legged dinosaur uh, with uh, really long uh, legs, small uh, small hands capable of really really uh, high jumps uh, with a spined back to scaly skin and those are the were were the, the creatures that were responsible for the slaughtering of uh, goats mainly was that's when got the, the the nickname chupacabras goat sucker and also all the kind of uh, farm animals and poultry and the Puerto Ricans were convinced that they were escaped creatures from some kind of like uh, sensitive uh, laboratory, almost like something like out of Stranger Things, the Netflix series, you know, the, the Demogorgon or something. And strangely enough, uh, Mexican farmers started to report the same thing. <laughs> so somehow the Chupacabras managed to travel from Puerto Rico to, to Mexico. Uh, but what was strange to me is that the Mexican media was covering so, covering this story so so widely, you know, even in prime time uh, news uh, at 8 p.m. with a with a reporter that was called uh, Jacobo Saludowski, which was kind of like our Walter Cronkite, right? You know, he was the most respected Mexican newsman. Uh, in in the nation, and he was. I mean, Jaime Massan is not. I, I was, was going to say, I, 
I thought Jaime Mossan was the Walter Cronkite of Mexico. That's what we've always been told. Uh, I think I'm going to hung up. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, Mossan has always been involved with, 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 with UFOs, and he was working with by the same uh, news organization, news channel, you know, or Televisa, this news, uh, this TV network. Uh, that was the most important in the, in, in the country, and who and that also had uh, strong ties with the with the government, which is why I came up with this uh, conspiracy uh, theory that the reason why people were getting all these news about the Chupacabra was because it was a smoke screen campaign to distract the public's attention from the guerrilla that uh, that was happening in, in Guerrero. At the same time, you know, so I guess what was to me was an example of how uh, a government will not shy away from using uh, uh, paranormal news or paranormal uh, uh, events for their benefit, you know, in order to to distract the public's attention, you know, hey, let's let's the public, uh, you know, play around with chupacabras with goat suckers and tic-tac ufos and this is instead of uh, really uh, focusing on the, on the on the important stuff has has that happened in mexico again you think with i mean i remember was it 10 years ago or whatever when they had that like the flying witch or whatever do you remember that it was yeah, it remember, looked like a witch the, flying around and uh, yeah that was cool yeah uh, <laughs> the poor, poor police uh, officer, uh, a very young guy who, who claimed to have been uh, attacked by this uh-huh. woman yeah. with bleak, big black eyes or something to that effect uh, that scared the bejesus out of him and and I don't know what happened to that poor fellow, uh, I don't know if he got uh, kicked out of the force or something but uh, yeah, I guess because of Maussan you know, credit credit where credits due. Because of Mausan, uh, the news uh, channels weren't so hesitant to cover that sort of sort of stuff. Once in a while, right? Like as filler, not really all the time, but yeah, they would occasionally mention all oh, you know this weird story of uh, this guy with a witch or. Uh, even when there was this um, the video that happened also in 1996 of this wobbling UFO, uh, UFO flying saucer, I don't know if you remember that one. Uh, that was that looked really impressive, you know. And, and even Whitley River, I remember he even said, "Wow, you know, I mean, this is obviously one of the best evidence available of the alien presence." It turned out to be a probably the first computerized hoax of a UFO done by a, by a uh, media studio here in Mexico, you know? So it's, really? I guess we, who has the, the, the dubious, uh, I don't know, the credit of being the first um, CGI hoaxers of UFOs. Hey. <laughs> I, I should probably write about that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess in, in addition to 
all these different movements, this apocalypticism with the New World Order, these paramilitary movements in America, the Michigan militia and all this kind of stuff, as well as these white supremacist terrorists. Um, but on the flip side, there was also kind of this sense of optimism, and you had the rekindling of like a – of the psychedelic movement in America in the nineties. And that kind of was interfacing with technology also And this and technology was, was, uh, giving people hope for the future. And I guess like Leary at the time was really into technology and this interface of psychedelia with technology. And I'm, I'm really a product of that time. I kind of, you know, came of age exactly at the turn of the century. Can, and you guys want to contribute to that? Well, I, I think the other guys can probably talk about it more, but I, I think the um, the sort of popularization of Terrence McKenna's material, especially Absolutely. through Coast to Coast AM, I mean, he reached a much larger audience talking to Art Bell than he would have just, you know, publishing Archaic Revival, which is, you know, a, a great book. But he was on Art Bell, you know, mm-hmm. a lot. And yeah. I'm not as up on him as uh, as as Adam or Red Pill probably are, but um, I think that was a, a real turning point as, as as well as sort of the more technological sort of um, singularity type things. Yeah, in that uh, zine period, uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, it's kind of what attracted me to uh, some like-minded people, you know, like uh, Greg Bishop and his zine, The Excluded Middle, and West Nations had Crash Collusion, and uh, there was like a lot of overlap with our interests with uh, psychedelics and uh, UFOs, paranormals, and conspiracies, where all these things intersected, and and we, you know, we were aware of uh, McKenna during that uh, period, and a lot of a lot of stuff was emerging then. With, uh, for instance, brain machines and using technologies that uh, would induce altered uh, states. You know, so and Robert Anton Wilson, for instance, was into a lot of this uh, stuff. So that's kind of where our uh, heads w- were at. And yeah, there was a certain amount of optimism that we could in essence, create our own reality or uh, the world we wanted to by uh, using these different uh, methods of uh, consciousness exploration. You're right, because McKenna was also uh, uh, promoting his infamous time wave zero. Yeah, all that was going on, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, and obviously he died in in, in the year two thousand. I want to say, Is yeah, ninety nine or two thousand. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, like, I think was, I, I want to say two thousand. Uh, of a of a brain tumor that ha- was uh, had the shape of a mushroom, according <laughs> to the legend. Larry was at the forefront of that stuff too in the late yeah. 80s, 90s, as the internet was emerging. I actually went to see him. Uh, he was doing kind of a stand-up type of <laughs> routine during that period, and I saw him a couple mm-hmm. times. And, uh, yeah, he was really uh, pushing, promoting. Once again, this was just on the cusp as the internet was going, that uh, we needed, we could uh, create our own television, you know, uh, media of the 
of the pastor up to that time was going to go by the wayside and we'd be each of us creating our own media by you know using all these new technologies to basic uh, basically program what we wanted to uh, we collective whole or individually what we wanted to put out there to basically whatever change the vibe of the world in a more positive direction. I don't think that's actually <laughs> quite happened with the internet and social media, but that's yeah. where, you know, that's where, uh, not to say we still can't do that, but, uh, you know, that, yeah, that was uh, part of the discussions going on during that period. And a popularization of, of uh, transhumanism, too. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah, yeah oh. all the people that were following McKenna, you know, they were, uh, I don't know, what do you call this, uh Modern techno tribalists, uh, people who believed in, in the idea of the global village, the idea that the internet would uh, uh, erase all national boundaries, all these old lines in the map. Uh, right. and Let's do a good job you, of that. <laughs> yeah, well, for a while, yeah. I still, I still, uh, believed in that idea, you know, especially when the Arab Spring movement happened Mm -hmm, in 2008. Well, and and right after the Cold War, you had had all those peaceful revolutions, so I think that really impacted people's way of thinking that you could, that we Mm -hmm. would just come to some kind of global consciousness and all these, you know, uh, oppressive institutions would just fizzle away. The end of of history concept. Fukuyama. Yeah. The yeah, Berlin, oh yeah. yeah. Berlin hey. Wall came down and whatever that was, eighty nine. So yeah, there was a lot of uh, optimism for democracies around the world. Can I just say thank mm-hmm. you for the for the Francis Fukuyama call out? I mean Oh yeah. I'm yeah. an international relations major. Um, so. I, I read my freshman year um of college, we had a one one sort of month course, and uh, it was uh, the the history of democracy at the end of the modern age. And we read Hegel, uh, Hegel's philosophy of history, all the way up through uh, Fukuyama's end of history and the last man. And uh, it all seemed really uh, really cool until you know the Balkans happened, and <laughs> you know we realized everything couldn't be Czechoslovakia. But um, yeah, yeah, there 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 was that that sense. You know, there's this. This moment in the early '90s, I think you're right, where, where there was, you know, not just with the with the psychedelics and the the technology stuff, and but just this idea that that we we had an opportunity to choose to go in a new direction, and I, yeah, I, I I think we 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 you know sort of optimistically, you know, you know didn't realize that you know centuries and centuries and centuries of 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 history were still there, you know, you know, just you know. Areas that have been, you know, seemingly, you know, sedate, you know, they're sedate because they had a giant gun pointed at them and now the gun was gone. So what happens in Yugoslavia, what happens in Chechnya, what happens in all these other places? And I, I think a lot of times the, um, the, the, the sort of, you know, optimism for the future is, is, is very, uh, is very sort of broadly Western focused. And, and we don't think about, 
you know, Rwanda <laughs> and places like that and, and, and sort of, you know, yeah. hey, we've got all this optimism. It's like, oh, but what about these places? Well, and then we sort of, you know, get the attitude of, well, those those places are always kind of like that. Right. But but look, <laughs> look, look, I've got I've got America online and I'm talking to other people, you know, from Canada. It's so international <laughs> and glamorous, you know. So, you know, there's there's it's easy to to sort of you know, get in our own sort of, sort of technological sort of, uh, you know, you know, dare I say bourgeois sort of bubble sometime, mm-hmm. especially back then. Mm-hmm. Is there another point that you wanted to, to make, Sergio? Uh, no, no, we can, we can segue to what I want to talk about a little later. Okay. Well, so uh, one thing at the end of the nineties and that's Y2K. Oh yeah. Oh, man. But, uh, Sergio has the, um, he has a poster of the Ready for the Year 2000 Y2K, and it's uh, hosted by Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, it's the, from it's from like a, a a display where you could get the VHS tapes in, in like a supermarket. Yeah. But uh, do you guys have any uh, Y2K stories? Do you know anyone who was stockpiling and ready to go? Uh, I, <laughs> I I wasn't stockpiling because I was um I, I was just on the cusp of 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 going back to graduate school and and currently living in a in you know fairly you know I was I was I was pretty poor but um I was too broke to stockpile but I I did I lived in Indianapolis at the time which which is not a small city and I I did sort of make arrangements to to stay with some friends who were sort of more out in the countryside just in case there was any sort of you know meltdown of services that would lead to unrest and people breaking my car windows I, you know, it's like you know i i think i will head up here to you know you know rural madison county indiana and um and, and just sort of just sort of hang out in uh in a in in at my friend's uh my friend's family and and, and just cow. you know with a with a with a not so many cows but just fewer people um and uh and and you know people that we could you know you know you know hold them off with a with with a with a ball bat and a hunting rifle if we had to but you know i but, but the um the biggest thing for for y two k that that jumps out at me is um the uh there's an organization that that i used to follow quite a bit called the prophecy club and uh it's mostly you know end times prophecy nonsense but they uh they 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 they, they went all in on Y2K. And then when Y2K, you know, didn't happen, they, they lost, they lost radio stations and, and, and donors. It just dropped like a rock. And, and they're, they're sort of, they're sort of, you know, meandering, slightly dumb explanation that, um, that, that, that the devil had fixed Y2K in order to discredit their ministry <laughs> was, was one of my, my favorite things about that, whole, it was, uh, about that whole period. We all know it was John Teeter. We all know it, well, it was oh God. Fixed. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no other reasonable explanation. <laughs> I was watching something here recently or reading. I forget exactly, but, uh, Alex Jones really jumped on the Y2K thing, which helped uh, bring him into prominence. Yeah, 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 he really did. At the time. At, personally, yeah, you was hearing all these uh, stories of what would happen <laughs> when the clock struck 12, you know, and there was a lot of government preparations going on to deal with any of these uh, issues and 
God, it was like nothing. Uh, there was no <laughs> disturbance or hiccups at all that I re- I recall. You know, it was like banks were going to get wiped out and all this type of stuff, but it turned out to be a big nothing. But it, yeah, it really uh, uh, kind of revved up the whole. You know, people on the uh, militia types, yeah, you know, yeah. with getting 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 their bug out bags ready and survivalists that uh, you know probably uh, really uh, uh, did a lot to uh, you know popular popularize uh, yeah. a lot of that uh, stuff survivalism in the militia groups yeah I, I, being ready yeah I had a, a friend whose parents were preppers yeah I had a, a friend whose parents were kind of into that and had some I think some family and some state militias somewhere and they were like ready to go and we're, you know, we're pretty urban, but they were, uh, they were locked and loaded, man. It was pretty wild. Yeah. Then I had some, I knew some young, (laughs) young teenagers, uh, also who had some pretty outlandish plans for like raiding the army surplus store and all kinds of (laughs) shit. (laughs) Something else. This is like that. I mean, it's 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 always good <laughs> to be prepared for like you know when the power goes out, but <laughs> can overdo <laughs> these things. This was kind of like, like the the in between time I think for that whole like subculture of the preppers where it was between yeah. Red Dawn and the <laughs> uh, and the terrorist threat. You know? Right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was more disaster right, focused, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I have people. I have friends. Uh, right now who are seriously considering the idea of uh, getting some cheap land somewhere in, in the American Southwest in order to create... I don't think you, it's harder to find it. <laughs> <laughs> in order to create some kind of like a compound, uh, not a commune per se, not a hippie commune, because the idea is that everybody will own their own little piece of land, but they will definitely be Kind of like, yeah, waiting until the shit hit the fan, hits the fan, you know, and, uh, and these are people I, I respect, you know, they, 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 I really consider the possibility of, uh, of a total societal collapse and, and, and I don't blame them, but I, at the same time, I'm not really sure I will enjoy <laughs> staying in, in, in that kind of society. Like for, for instance, I, I wouldn't be able to justify my stay in, in those kind of like, uh, uh, communities because I don't know how to do shit. You know, <laughs> like there's no power and I, I don't, I can't use my computer. You're like, Hey, what, what can you do? Well, I can draw in AutoCAD. Well, dude, yeah, there's no internet. There's no, there's nothing. Okay. Then I guess I think we all know enough paranormal shit to start cults. So I think we all yeah, got yeah, something yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to start a con. I'm going to start a contact e-cult and then like, you know, only accept, <laughs> only accept recruits who know how to do things like repair generators and, <laughs> you know, and, and, and fix cars. You know, it, it's, told me that you can stay only if you know how to fix my car. <laughs> it's like right now we're really looking for believers who are very good at dealing with plumbing issues. So, you know, can you, can you solder <laughs> copper pipe? And and things like that. If so, you know, you're welcome to believe in in my offshoot of the Ashtar religion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aaron, I think you have a future as a composer of of wonderful songs that uh, 
You can that like one you did on your podcast. Oh, hey, hey, hey! Howard Mencher wrote that song. Um, oh, okay. I just I just tried to beat it into something singable. Um, <laughs> it was this tune. I me and my me and my my uh, my friend who sometimes does a voice on the uh, on the on the podcast. He, he and I were like we were looking at this music. And we're like, yeah, this isn't singable by humans. Um, it, it's. It's like it's kind of like how Gene Roddenberry wrote words for the Star Trek theme so he could get money off, you know, every time the Star Trek theme was played, and even though the words were never sung, and it's it's like that. It, it's it's these these words <laughs> do not because somebody Menger wrote the tune and then somebody else came up with words and then you know Connie or whatever her name was put it in the book and then I put it on the podcast because I if people still listen after that. I've got them hooked. So it, it, it's, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, but yeah, I, I do need to, to compose some UFO songs. I, I think that'd be fun. We'll get together with Adam there and you guys can do it. I think so. I think Red so. Bill can yeah. make your album cover. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> songs from songs from Venus. Or in, <laughs> or That's Mars. right. Hey, I have a little chupacabra story. It's kind of uh, funny. Okay. Oh, it has, yeah. has 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 to do with Art Bell. And uh, <laughs> I don't know who else ever uh, heard this episode. I've told people over the years, but uh, so listen to Art Bell one night. It was at the height of that chupacabra stuff going on, and this guy calls in and says, uh, in his area, they've we've witnessed a new sort of uh, chupacabra uh, and it's called the chupa verga. <laughs> and I sp- I'm serious. This is on art bill. And I, st- I speak a little Spanish. So I knew what verga is, which is penis. And this guy's going on about the chupa verga. And you, you know how art bill is. Oh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> Fascinating. And this goes on. This goes on for about five or ten minutes, and I'm just cracking up. And Art never caught on to what was going on because I guess he didn't know what Verga is, but that actually happened. Oh my God! Something else about Art Art Bell and I was having this conversation with Aaron and some other people. Um, over the years, he made claims like uh, one of them was Jay Z Knight was his sister, you know, the famous channeler. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's just one of those things. I remember hearing that, and also Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett was his uncle. And so recent, recently, I brought up, uh, "Hey, did you know uh, Jay Z Knight was Art Bell's sister?" And somebody said, "Nah." No, no way. And I said, yeah, I heard him talk about it on his show. Mm-hmm. You know, so I started doing some digging around, and there's nothing on the Internet <laughs> that confirmed that. You know, and the same thing with Warren Buffett. He said that on several occasions, and that seems to be bullshit, too. So he, for some reason, uh, Art felt compelled to make that up, you know, mm-hmm. that... Uh, he was related to those uh, people, Listen, Warren Buffett and Jay-Z Knight, which, you know, <laughs> makes you wonder how much other shit was right. 
Art, Art Bell making up how much did he stage, you yeah. know, with the whole right. Mills Hole thing. Mm-hmm. And, the Area 51 uh, call. I was going to say the Area yeah. 51 call and show. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's a classic. Madman Mark. <laughs> I don't know. Well, are we, But he, he, he was entertaining for sure. Are we thinking of the same one, Aaron? Because there was one where the guy flew into the... He was trying to like helicopter in Area 51. Oh, and yeah. Then there was the other one where the fly- guy called from the telephone booth. Right. It was that, like, that's the one I was They're going to triangulate on this position soon. Right. They're not right. who they say and they are. That's when supposedly the yeah. satellite, satellite went down. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That that was that was classic. And, and you know, it, it's it, discharged. And then, and then we 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 hear and he tells us that that the guest in his studio is a writer from Penthouse Magazine who's doing a profile on him. It's like, oh, you, you think this was real? Really? Anybody think this is real? When when the guy writing a story about hey, Art Bell on show, it at the time. I know, I know. And I, you know. No way. It's like, oh my gosh. Wow. There's no other explanation. But you, got, you guys also, you guys also heard the one about the guy flying a plane into Area 51. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's a, the, okay. So yeah, that was a plane. I thought it, for some reason I was thinking it's a helicopter, but uh, yeah, I, like like the, he had like noises in the background, and Our he was like, like, "Be I'm careful! Right, I'm right over it! I'm right over it! <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna fly in here, boy, and see what's going on. I'm gonna do it, Mister Bell, <laughs> sir. That's not a wise idea." <laughs> I would advise you to turn around right now. No, I'm going in. Or wait, wait, wait. Here comes a jet up beside me. Oh, no. <laughs> sir, you still there, sir? That was it. <laughs> wow. Oh, I love it. Have you ever heard Phil Henry do uh, Oh, my, those are the art best. Band? Oh, those are the best. <laughs> no, no. Oh man, it's yeah. The, the, if you guys have General heard, General Johnson Jameson, you know, yeah. I got the space clap art, you know. <laughs> great stuff. Oh shit. Well, what about going back to some of the the online stuff? What are some of the earliest uh, online communities with this kind of paranormal, UFO, conspiracy theory stuff that you guys were that you guys belong to or really used as a good information source? Um, I, I think on Usenet, all alien visitors was, was probably the one that I that I sort of you know lurked in the most. I, I tried posting my own fake UFO sighting, but uh, it wasn't very good, so they saw through it. But um, but yeah, that's that's where I I mostly uh, I, I mostly lurked, and then um, then once once things developed, it's like it was that period of the web where things weren't very interactive you had some mailing lists but email yeah. lists were the were the big thing and i i can't remember the ones i was on rich boylan's mailing list for a long time uh just because i hate myself and it was um it, it was just nothing but the star being ambassadors have communicated to me that they're trying to meet with the white hats in the u.s government and i'm like why why am i reading this this is horrible and then blogs started and we all you know got social but but usenet usenet for me was the big one yeah i was also on on, on some ufo mailing lists uh, i i don't i don't remember which exactly i still corres- correspond with with one of those friends from those uh bygone bygone years hi drew I drew back. Uh, I, that's when how I read about the Gulf Breeze sightings and also these these soldiers that went AWOL. 
and went to golf breeze because they were convinced that uh, the end of the world was about to happen. Uh, yeah, the golf breeze six. Exactly, and I was like, my God, what, what's going on? You know, also the, the Chupacabra stories. And then, like I said before, uh, the, the Groom Lake Desert Rat was yep. my favorite uh, uh, go-to place on the Internet back then. The uh, the conformist with a K website was uh, was was yeah. good stuff too. Yep, for sure. Yeah, that was one of the that was uh, Rob Sterling. That that was like a bridge between the zines were still happening during that uh, period, but you were starting to get some uh, website. And Sterling was a good friend of our circle of people, you know. Uh, Ken Thomas and Greg Bishop and uh, some of the other people who put out Paranoia magazine. So, yeah, The Conformist was kind of uh, the first, I don't know, conspiracy zine that became a uh, website. And he got a lot of uh, traffic there initially in those uh, early years. Then uh, pretty soon everybody had a uh, website. Yeah, his uh, his reviews of David Icke's uh, books were great, and um, <laughs> also he 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 had you know, a, re- a, re- a really scathing review of of Kathy O'Brien's Transformation of America. And I think that's probably mm-hmm. where I first heard about it. Is is I read it, I read about it, I read that review, and then the subsequent correspondence between uh, between uh, Sterling and uh, Mark Phillips, who's who's Kathy Kathy's I I. You know, he says rescuer, deprogrammer, handler, savior, deprogrammer. handler, deprogrammer. Yeah, um, creepy, creepy. The Conformist uh, published, uh, I think it was the first place that published my uh, spin on Eyes Wide Shut. I, I remember, I think that might have been the first thing of yours I ever read. Mm. Yeah. Going back to. <laughs> Late ninety nine, two thousand or something. Ninety nine, two thousand. Yeah. Oh, we haven't even One. touched on uh, internet hoaxes and like Ong's hat and stuff. Yeah, we haven't I even gone into. The I only deal with stuff that's absolutely real. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do any of you guys remember a website called uh, Deoxyribonucleic Hyperdimension? I do. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Didn't it have to do with psychedelics. Yeah, it was, it was more or... like psychedelic oriented. It was this like crazy like wormhole of a website with all these hyperlinks everywhere. Yeah, and it would like mm-hmm. that that like blew my young like fifteen year old mind. I found it and like learned that about was, Ong's hat that was, and all that. Yeah, that was still online up to a yeah, uh, few years so. ago. You're right. You're right. I think talking about another other key uh, groundbreakers. Uh, was uh, the uh, Infinity Factory with uh, Richard Metzger. Yeah. And that was, if you recall that, uh, around 99, 2000, he started doing uh, streaming interviews. Basically, uh, you know, it was an early form of podcast, but even back then he was, like, uh, streaming and interviewing uh, some really tuned-in uh 
people, Robert Anton Wilson and different uh, conspiracy theorists. So I think that, that was another bridge uh, there that took us from zines into uh, doing stuff on the uh, Internet. God, I remember list, trying to watch those uh, stream that back in 99-2000 with, you know, dial-up. It was like <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't happening. <laughs> Well, guys, I mean, this has been excellent. Uh, we've gone on a long time. I think we're like two and a half hours, well, with power surges and interruptions. But uh, and you guys kind of taking the reins, taking the yes. reins a little bit here. But yeah. uh, thank you, Adam, for saving the day with that. Yeah, yeah. I'll send it oh, to, to you as soon as we get off. Let's, excellent. Let's go through, guys. Um, start with you, go, Adam. Go rightly. People can contact you, reach you, find all the good stuff. I don't want anybody reaching me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, shucks. AdamGoRightly.com and books are on Amazon. I'm on Twitter. Not so much Facebook anymore. Uh, not too hard to find. And Red Pill? <laughs> they can go to my MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Is that actually still a thing? Can you? I guess. Space still? I'll check right now as you're talking. Uh, yes, 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 it is. They can yes, contact you at your at AOL email. <laughs> exactly. A company serve. No, they can go to uh, the Daily Grail, www.dailygrail.com. That's I'm, I'm a regular contributor there and their oh, social so much um, so, so much excellent. I forgot about that exactly I mean I don't know rightly stuff is there so go check it out I also got Mysterious Universe Mysterious Universe Org and many 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 men uh, uh, that put up also excellent content Nick Edward Micah Hanks and sponsor and others at the moment uh, I also have my own uh, website absurdbydesign.com where you can uh, check out my artwork and, uh, and links to uh, interviews like this one and other stuff. Okay. And Aaron? Uh, yeah, you can find me at saucerlife.com. Uh, there's, everything's there. Um, or just search for the Saucer Life on any sort of podcast directory. And I'm on Twitter at Saucer Life. So I guess the key word here is Saucer Life. <laughs> saucer life <laughs> alright right. guys and are you still doing your library tours um, no those finished up over? I uh, oh. yeah I f finished it up um, the one from Dexter where I actually was in Dexter talking about this thing um, I'm, that's going to be uh, about a month from now on the podcast I, I, I sort of edited that together that talk together so um, that was really fun because there were a lot of people in the crowd who um, remember who were there in 1966 and when the uh, this is really interesting when I played the clip of the the sheriff at the time who was sort of like go on getting the Air Force in here the response to that sheriff's little interview that was derisive laughter some sort of local stuff but there's a lot, a lot of local stuff and there's like not a lot of people there who are like gung-ho about the flying saucers but they remember the media attention and the media circus and the the hysteria but um it, it was it was it was interesting and, and and fun and i was sort of very much an outsider as they laughed at some of the people i mentioned that are like oh i thought that was just a guy but no, no that side of the room know him <laughs> so and our 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 don't like him so it was um it was it was good but it was um 
Really interesting. The, the one thing I took away from uh, seeing hundreds of people around the state of Michigan is that nobody watched Unidentified on the History Channel. So um, there's hope yet. Yeah. You know, they're like, what's that? Um, is that a show? Uh, so that was um, talk more about the face on Mars. No, nobody said that, but um, nobody cares. But uh, but yeah, th- that was that was fun. All right, guys. Excellent. Um, stand the line for us. Uh, we're going to close this section out, and guys, we'll be back to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. If you want your HR team to hire top talent for your company, tell them about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your company's job posts, so you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right. How you doing, Adam? Tired. Yes. That was, um, that was a marathon. Yes, it was. We had uh, a bit of a disaster in there almost. Yeah, but uh, so as we record this, we're hoping that uh, Adam Gorelli was recording. Yes, that so is, we uh, should. Uh, we you guys should hear the whole thing. If you don't, then I guess we apologize. <laughs> I don't really know at the moment of this recording whether or not you'll hear the whole thing or not. But hopefully, hopefully you have just heard it. So so we had a. If you haven't heard, which you would have heard us say it on what we recorded tonight if it is recorded yeah but um yeah a crazy storm came through uh-huh and knocked out the power mid-interview on our woke in the 90s episode yeah and uh the guys continued to speak amongst themselves so i'm sure that we'll have some of that in there yeah, which that'll be well. cool because we're looking forward to that because we we didn't hear it. Yeah, we didn't get to hear it because we were sitting here like wondering it's if like the power real, was ever it's, coming it's back a, on. Like a real Area Fifty One call thing, and like uh huh, you know, we actually did lose a signal. But we did what we recorded. We got a lot. I mean, we did what like it was probably another hour, maybe. Yeah, that yeah. we had on there, and maybe you will hear uh, just Go Riley's recording, and maybe you'll hear that at the end, depending on yeah, what it'll do, just so. how 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 it's going to be mixed, but that's okay so guys um we still have spaces available for the strange realities conference 2019 here in nashville tennessee on october 19th yes please come um i know that it's still early yet it's august it's back to school you spending your money on that but by the fall you're going to want to get away adam you want to talk about some of the speakers and what they'll be speaking about yeah we can talk about that um Absolutely. So, let me. I'm going to pull up the website here because I have all that on there. So, guys, we've got um, Tim Banal speaking at this thing. And who is Tim Banal? Well, as you know, he is the um, news editor for Coast to Coast and got to really know him down there for the Paramania event. Cool. And. He is going to have, all I know at the moment right now, his lecture is on the rise and fall of the flat earth theory. Cool. That's that. that's what I topic. know as of, the, as of this point. So, um, 
Guy Malone is going to be talking about, uh, this is actually something that he talked about when he, we were at his conference in Roswell, New Mexico, back a couple of years ago. So his, his, his is on Roswell 1947, when the mythology is stripped away, what facts remained. Said so not a weather balloon, not an alien spacecraft. What facts could be so terrifying as to warrant the cover-up and secrecy attended to the Roswell incident? Clandestine operation so morally repugnant that a post-World War II government would prefer U.S. citizens think that the government was lying to them than to reveal the ugliest truth of all. Malone posits that an alien spacecraft was not being covered up, but rather that an alien spacecraft was the cover-up. His presentation rests largely on eyewitness testimony, government records not released until decades later, and quotes from today's published Roswell researchers and is known as the most challenging alternate view proposed yet by the Roswell UFO crash of July 1947. We've got Mark Anthony Wyatt. He's going to be speaking to us about some Cornish legends. Mark is from England. And uh, UFO sightings over GCHQ, US, uh, that's a UK-US secret facility. And the otherworldly nature of mermaids and the true personal account of a ghostly surfer. This is all stuff that is in his ghostly area surfer. of Cornwall where he lives in the UK. Joshua Cutchin is going to be there. And we're going to te- his talk is just titled Stock and Trade, Expressions of the Changeling, the Changeling Stock Motif in Alien Hybrid Lore. So there we go. We get some little like alien abduction and uh, equating it to the uh, to the fairy lore. Timothy Renner is also going to do a presentation on the 1920-21 Pennsylvania gorilla flap. So this is a little bit of uh, Bigfootery. Yeah. And at the last presentation of the night, Tim and Josh are going to get together. It's Timothy Renner. They're going to they're gonna present on their new upcoming book, When the Footprints End, which is about high strangeness and folklore and Bigfoot sightings. And guys, if this book comes out, I think it's really going to change some things in the cryptozoological world. So that's going to be a big preview for that. Yeah, and we've got uh, our good friend Joe as well. Um, he is going to be talking about his ghost hunting technology that you guys may have heard us talk about on the show he wants a to few do times. Live demonstrations. He wants to do live demonstrations. And let you communicate with ghosts live on stage. So, that's it, guys. Um, that's that's the lineup. And then we've got music at the end of at, yeah, at the end Yeah, that's a big night. party at the end. It's a really cool yep. town to come to. And we've got plenty of recommendations for great food. And there's tons of uh, Airbnbs available all throughout town. A very quick town to get around in, too. So, you know, nothing will be too far from your Airbnb. All right, guys, and you can get your tickets at strangerealitiesconference.com. Strangerealitiesconference.com. There is a Eventbrite link to that, which will take you to where you can actually buy and purchase the tickets. And it's 30 bucks, not $40. $40 at the door. $40 at the door. Right. But you only pay 30 bucks if you buy it online. So that's how it is, guys. We're really looking forward to seeing you over there. So... All right, Conspiranormal. We're gonna take to uh, talk about a little bit about Patreon. We're gonna we're we have uh, stuff up there on Patreon. It's as as a little as a dollar to uh, to spend to get to Patreon. And Serfiel, you can tell everybody where they can find that. You can find that at Patreon.com/slash/Conspiranormal. Make a donation as little as a dollar. Get all that extra free stuff. 
that's right. There's plenty of stuff on there. I think there's like probably there might be close to thirty, just you know, not as long as regular shows, but they're at least like maybe twenty, twenty-five minutes. That's the secret yeah. adept level of conspiranormal. That's fandom. the secret adept level. That's right. That's the Kabbalion of uh, conspiranormal fandom. Okay, guys, we're gonna next time we got Timothy Renner coming on, and we're gonna talk to him about uh, Slenderman and Bunny Man and any flannel man flannel and any man. other kind of man Dog weird man. shit that we could possibly talk about on on a show um man main yep man main <laughs> all right guys we'll be back next time on conspiranormal com. Please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com and please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.